Pastor Wayne Park, and it's my privilege continually, and I'm ever grateful to serve this congregation. Um, next Sunday, I want to talk a little bit about what is to come. Next, next weekend is Labor Day weekend, and we're going to start a new series next weekend on the subject of labor. So that's not happenstance. We've timed it that way. Labor Day weekend, begin a conversation about labor. And Sang mentioned to bring your business cards, and so I want to repeat that. Um, next Sunday, bring your business card with you to church. We're going to do something special, something devotional, and hopefully it will be meaningful for you as we all learn about the significance of our work. You see, um, the thing about work is sometimes we think that this is real life. That what we do spiritually on Sunday is where the real thing happens and work is some kind of um, fallen thing. And that's the concept that we're going to be addressing. That actually work is not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. And for the fall season, talking about the significance of what we do, in fact, more and more, I'm beginning to realize that this is the DNA of our church. We've been talking about this in different groups, even with the discernment committee, about the uh, significance of work and workplace spirituality for us here at Woven. So starting next Sunday, we're going to start that series, Sanctify, Monday to Friday, um, I professionally, as a clergy person, can only imagine what it's like to be in your shoes Monday to Friday. Friday, I was downtown spending the afternoon at somebody's office and looking out of the high-rise and just wondering what it's like to live here, to work here, nine to five. And so this will be my attempt to step into your shoes and to talk about what really matters for you guys. On top of that, the Reframe course is something we're going to start um, pretty soon here in the fall. And we're working together with uh, some of our leaders to get this going. The thing about this is in order, to, in order for us to launch our, um, uh, the video series, so the, it's a video series, there's 10 weeks. Um, in order to launch this Woven Group, we need to get a head count of who is interested in being part of this um, small group semester and watching these videos. So based on who is interested and who's going to participate, then we can form our groups. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to hold up. If you could just go ahead and take out your yellow communication card. I'm going to ask you actually to hold it up. And if you could write your name and just check off. If you are interested, I'd like to get involved in a Bible study or small group. Um, this is not a commitment or anything like that. This is how we can get our names. This is how we can get our roster and figure out who's going to be in, interested in participating. Then we can organize a little bit better. So you do need to let us know. Check that off. And this way um, we can launch that well. So that's what's forthcoming. Today, I'm going to be teaching from the church calendar and from the passage that's assigned for this Sunday and that's being preached all around the world by churches on, this, uh, on these three verses we're going to read today. Now, in case you think that this is going to be kind of a, you know, I'm changing the subject, actually, it still has to do with work. These three verses, these three passages that we're going to read today, I think, still talk about work. And so consider today... Um, a pep rally or a teaser for this series to come. And certainly, if you find that it's helpful, you'll get a taste of what this series is going to be like. And so what I'm going to do today is talk about three ways. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find the notes. 
three ways, one, two, and three, that we can advance at work. Yes, your pastor is going to give you cutting-edge industry secrets on how you can get further and get advanced and get ahead of the competition at work. All of you buy my video, and I'll give you a free keychain flashlight for $19.99. I'm going to give you three ways today your pastor is on how you can advance at your jobs. I'm going to presume to tell you how to do your job. It's always funny, you know. Um, actually, I'll refrain from that comment. Never mind. Um, it has something to do with my job. But anyway, um, yes, three ways to advance at your work. And I'm laughing because as if I could tell you how to do your job. You know, there's some irony there that pastors, we think we can tell you how to live your life. That's why it's important for us to develop a gospel theology, you see. It's important for us to understand a worldview that spirituality is not just a Sunday thing. Sunday has to give us the tools, the equipping, what we need, the word that we need in order to live our lives better Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday is your opus. Monday to Friday is where you make it work. In some ways, I envy your position because for me, I'm just idealizing and theorizing this stuff. You are the people that are living out true spirituality. See, as I was growing up and I watched in my church, all the people week in and week out, um, many of them blue-collar people because this was a first-generation immigrant church, they worked and they faithfully worked. Every Sunday they came to church with their best and biggest smile that they could. A lot of these people showed up every morning to the prayer meetings. When I saw that, I saw something admirable. And so spirituality is not just about what we do here. It's about the week in and the week out, the faithfulness and what happens. Without further ado, let's look at the first passage of three. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 6 to 7. Proverbs 25. Let's read this together. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, Come up here than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. So this is a proverb. In the presence of a prince uh, that could also be translated from the Hebrew nobles. You're also in the presence of a king. And so you have this sense that you're in the presence of high-ranking, high, high lofty folk. I remember uh, the first time I went to Chicago to be at one of my denomination conferences. Dude, I was like starstruck. Everybody, all the rock stars, all of my industry heroes that I looked up to, they were all there, and I got to eat with them and hang out with them. And there's a sense of, of being in high company. That's what this passage, Proverbs, speaks about. When you're in high company, how should you conduct yourself? If you come out too proud... If you put yourself too much in the place of honor, then, hey, I'm sorry, that seat is reserved for somebody else. You're going to have to get demoted and sit down over here. And so there's this dynamic of demotion. I find that in life, we are either constantly being demoted or we are regularly being promoted. Do you hear that? We are either constantly being demoted or regularly being promoted. And I know, folks, that... Um, uh, you know, even for myself, if it's because of our pride, all throughout life we're constantly experiencing demotion. Or if you're faithful, if you're a hard worker, if you live quietly and live well, 
promotion is a regular part of your life. That dynamic is in this verse. And that phrase that I really want to just have an extended reflection on is come up here. Come up here. In your industry, wouldn't it be cool if somebody that's a rock star, that's up there, whatnot, and they say, come up here. Or someone that you look up to, and they say, come up here. There's a, there's a, a Peanuts clip that I remember, Charlie Brown, where he has this dream that he would go to a baseball game, a professional baseball game, and a ball would be hit into the stands, and he would lift his glove up and make this amazing catch. And they would say, that kid is good. He can catch the ball. Come on up here. Join the big leagues. Join the major leagues. And we all have that dream where if we'll just get noticed or if we'll just do the right thing at the right time, we'll get invited to come up here. Come up here. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean I don't have ambition. It doesn't mean that I don't have struggles. Coming up here is something that I oftentimes wrestle with, I think all of us do to some degree. If we chase that too much, that desire to come up here, it begets two sins. And I'm going to list these out. You can fill in the blank. The first sin is covetousness. Covetousness is simply desiring others' success. When I desire the success that other people have, man, I wish I could have that life. I wish I could have those material possessions. I wish I could have that person's success. To live in this constant state of almost uh, a mental stuckness where we want what they have, and we live our lives constantly desiring others. This is covetousness. The reverse of covetousness is the sin of entitlement. The sin of entitlement where we think I'm better than everybody else and therefore I deserve the success that others have. I deserve that. And actually this is the sin of pride. It's when we think of ourselves so much that we constantly in life seem to get demoted. Why? Because we're entitled. We have a sense of entitlement. Any of you who manage people understand that when you see a sense of entitlement, you know, it's hard to work with a, with a prima donna employee. And so demotion seems to be constantly what happens. Come up here, come up here. I want to go up there, or I think I deserve to be in the C-suite. I deserve to be up there. And the first advice that I'm going to give as your pastor on how you can get ahead at work, here comes the first cutting-edge industry secret. It is quite simply this. Number one, stop the looking. Stop the looking. Stop the coveting, and certainly work on that sense of entitlement. Because when we have this sense of entitlement or we're constantly looking, 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 this is how it jeopardizes you. Listen, I've got the perfect analogy. Many of you watched the Olympics. Some of you might have even seen the race, the swimming, the swimming match between Chad LeClose and Michael Phelps. <laughs> and if you've seen the meme of Michael Phelps sitting there stewing like this, like the angry man face. That's because in front of him was Chad LeClose dancing around and doing all the stuff, trying to get his attention, staring at him because he's like, this is the man I want to beat. Did, did you guys see that? And then there was the race, the, the swimming match. Does anybody remember which one that was? I don't remember exactly. 
200-meter butterfly. 200-meter butterfly. And they're in the water. Michael Phelps is working on his game. He's doing his thing. As I understand, he lost to Chad LaClosse in the past. Chad LaClosse is, for some reason, got this huge complex. And on international television, you can see him swimming, but constantly looking over this way, looking over at Michael Phelps. So much so, even as, a, even as somebody that doesn't know swimming, I know that's got to mess up his stroke. That's going to mess up his game. He's doing his thing, constantly looking sideways. And the thing is, the guy didn't even medal at the end. Not only did he lose out to Michael Phelps, he didn't even medal. Why? Because he lived his whole life looking at somebody else. Friends, the number one thing that will keep us behind in our work is constantly looking at what other people got and what's going on over there and what's happening with these people. Looking sideways is the number one thing that we have to arrest professionally. Never mind what's happening. God gifts you, and it's necessary for us to understand how He's blessed yourself. Stop the looking. Stop the looking. I was meeting with another pastor because honestly, pastors struggle with this too. We have um, ministry covetousness. And I was meeting with another pastor who's not far from here and we sat down. We had a lot in common and he gave me a good piece of advice. He says, you know what will help you as a younger pastor? He says, in 1 Thessalonians, so remember Thessalonians, and then 411, chapter 4, verse 11. So you just think Thessalonians information. 411. And what does it say? Look it up. It says, mind your own business. Mind your own business. And when you read that verse at length, it says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands. I think this is the New Testament ethic of work. Work faithfully, work quietly, mind your own business, and do your job well. Stop the looking. And in case you have a hard time when it comes to the looking, and you're constantly covetous or entitled, feeling entitled, here's a good prayer that you'll find in your notes. And the prayer goes like this. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. And try praying this every morning. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God, be in my head and in my thinking. God, be in my heart and in my understanding. And God, be at my end and at my departing. I like that last line because what it basically communicates to me is that in the end, we live faithfully and then we'll die and be forgotten. And that's not a bad thing the need to eternally live on, the need to be remembered, the need to be the person that everybody's thinking about. Nobody's like that. That's a privilege only God can enjoy. And in many ways, come up here, trying to climb up there, wherever here or there is, is a sense, I want to live forever. It's a desire to be noticed. It's a desire to always be thought well of. And that's something that we just need to die to. Because in the end, we live Live well, work well, die, and life, and life, the world will go on. God be at my end and at my departing. Let me live well, let me die well. So that's the first step. Stop the looking. Maybe you've got to get off Facebook for a season. 
arrest that process of constantly being obsessed with what's going on elsewhere and be grateful for your own life. This leads us to the second verse. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and then 7 to 11. And it happened that when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. In verse 7, Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. And he said, Listen, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited, and he who invited will have to say to you, look, can you give your place up to this person? And in disgrace, you get demoted, and you have to proceed to the lower place. Instead, in verse 10, when you are invited, go and recline at last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes and says, hey, what are you doing down there? I'm extrapolating a little. What are you doing over there? Come on up here. And you get promoted. Come up here. Come up higher. Then you'll be honored in the sight of all who are at the table with you. And then he ends by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This reversing thing, the poor will become rich, the rich will become poor, the humble will be lifted up, and the proud will be, will be humbled. This is called the great reversal. It's... It's, it appears often in the book of Luke. And what we see in the great reversal is this dynamic. If you place yourself high, if we constantly live with a sense of entitlement where we think I deserve better because I am better, uh, and I'm not talking about confidence. This is a different thing. I'm talking about pride. When we place ourselves in this place, all we're going to experience in our lives is humbling, 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 humbling. I read a killer quote this morning. I just want to share this with you from one of my friends in ministry. And he posted this and it said, let me see if I can get this right. Maybe I should just look it up. He said, sometimes the very thing that we need is actually not success, but failure. In other words, success, success might be the very thing that is not good for you. It might be the very thing that's not good for your soul. So, with this dynamic in mind, the great reversal, that if we're proud, we experience humbling. But if we're humble, we experience promotion, we experience blessing, we get lifted up. This dynamic, I think, what's underlying so much of it is one word, the ego. An inflated sense of self. An inflated sense of self-absorption. This is, this, is, this is what I deserve. Or this is what I want. And... Um, I'll share a story, just leading with my own weakness, even as a pastor, how I wrestle with this. That after going to those conferences that I've been to so many times now, among other pastors, eventually, first I started out starstruck. I started out looking at all the people that I admired, and I got to hang out with them. Eventually, as I kept going to these things, I started getting a little bit, 
jaded and started wondering, why do I go to these things? Because all we do is compare sizes. We just compare numbers. We just compare this and that. Even if we're trying to be humble, still there's this crisis of comparison that goes on. And it was so wearying to my soul. Last winter, I was at the conference yet again. And I got a personal text message from the assistant of the president of the denomination. The president of the denomination, along with Michael Emerson, who's the provost of the seminary. That name rings a bell. Michael Emerson taught taught sociology at Rice University here. Both of them were requesting my appearance at his personal suite, together with about a dozen other multi-ethnic practitioners. For me, this was a sense of being called up, moving on up to the executive suite. And as I arrived there, there were a group of shakers and movers, other multi-ethnic leaders, and we were talking about starting a new multi-ethnic initiative within the denomination. But the thing is, the longer I sat in that room, the smaller I felt. The longer I sat in that room, my own self-absorption and my own issues began to make me feel in some ways that I didn't deserve to be there. And I wrestled. I wrestled a lot, and throughout the rest, the remainder of the conference, in one sense we get called up, in another sense we still wrestle with a sense of self-absorption. And, and, and the friends, the only thing that got me out of that funk was one, actually it's the second step, the second advice, and that is this, start up the gratitude. Start up the gratitude. See, the thing is, When we are in the crisis of comparison, when we are wrestling with these feelings of covetousness or entitlement or whatnot, there, I think, is no medicine that will change that. There's no way to just, you can't pop a pill. There's nothing that will take away or revert your mentality, revert your focus onto God's blessing. The only thing that works, in my experience, is gratitude. Gratitude. Stop First of all, number one, stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking at Michael Phelps. Stop looking sideways and see how God has blessed you. Gratitude is the second step. And gratitude, I think, is a slow-release medicine. It's a slow-release medicine. The more we do it, the more regularly we practice gratitude, the less we look at what's going on in other people's lives, and the more we see how... Tremendously, God has blessed us. There are many things to be grateful for. Quite practically, um, if you find that you wrestle with these feelings, then sit down every morning and write down 30 things that you are grateful for. I actually do this sometimes. Not only as a medicine to help me when I'm ill, but even as a preventative measure, the same way you might take two aspirin before or after a workout. In a preventative way, the more I practice gratefulness, the more I recognize, indeed, God has been good. Why look elsewhere? So, the first step, stop the looking. The second way to advance at work, start up the gratitude. And we close now with the third, the third passage. Look with me at Psalm chapter 112, verses 1 to 10.
Let's read this together. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. If I could summarize this chapter, this psalm, I think it's quite simply this. In God's economics, right makes might. Righteousness begets blessing. If we live our lives ethically, if we live right, if we live well, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, it grows. Good living begets blessing. That, I think, is the economic that is being conveyed here. Now, track with me here. Around the 1400s, there was a philosopher named Niccolo Machiavelli. And what Machiavelli did was he said, well, that's all good and nice. In the Bible, it says right makes might. Righteous living begets blessing. But actually, the way it really is in the world is the reverse. Might makes right. The stronger you are, the further you get. The faster and quicker you are, the, the, you'll beat your competition. The more cunning you are, you are mightier and therefore you'll beat out the enemy. The more ruthless you are, you will become powerful. And sadly, I think in this fallen world that we live, Machiavelli is right. Friends, how many of you in your workplace and in the, in the competition that you experience, not just with the competition, but sometimes with, with your coworkers, the only way to get forward is how? To be more ruthless, to be quicker, to be more cunning, to be more deceptive. And the thing is, as much as that is how this fallen world operates and we stand on this fallen earth, we cannot ignore God's economics that ultimately might does not make right. It is the other way around because if you draw out this principle, might makes right, you will die by that same principle. There will always be someone faster than you, smarter than you, quicker than you, markets better than you, cheats more than you, can politi politicize better than you. You will not win if you play Machiavelli's game. And there's a reason why the church philosophers like to call him the devil. Because he's not wrong. Yes, the world operates on might makes right. But don't forget that there is a higher power, that there is a divine order that says righteousness begets blessing. Right makes might. 
Some people even say it's because of that thinking might makes right that led to totalitarian regimes. Powerful people made themselves more powerful. How? By killing. They justified the ends. They justified the means in order to attain the ends of becoming more powerful. Might does not make right, ultimately. If you live by that, you will die by that. Which means, after you arrest the looking, after you stop the looking and you start up the gratitude, you still are beholden to this third principle, ethical living. As people in your marketplace, you have to make hard decisions. What is the ethical thing to do? And that's what this forthcoming series is also going to tackle. What is the ethical thing to do in my work? I read an article recently about runners, joggers, not swimmers. This time we're talking about running. And how when it comes to running, and it's a metaphor for all of life, we often inflate. In other words, lie. Yeah, my time is 6.30. 6 minutes 30, I run a 6.30 mile. Actually, no, you don't. Or, you know, we, we kind of inflate our numbers, or in this case, we deflate it. We try to make it look a little bit better. The dishonesty at work there is an ethical dilemma. And in numerous ways, we're challenged with ethics at work. Here's the third and last profound, wonderful industry advice that I can give you that will help you get further, right? That advice is do the next right thing. It sounds so simple, and yet come tomorrow morning might be the hardest thing. Do the next right thing. Don't worry about what the industry will have for you a month later or a year later. We're not called to worry about the market further down the road. We're called to do the next right thing today. And in my view, in conclusion, a person who's lived well can look back and know they've treated others with respect They didn't step on anybody to get where they are. And they lived a life of daily right things stacked up on top of each other. If you do the right thing and you live a life that worships God and that treats others with respect, I truly believe with my whole being that the day will come when you will hear those words that you've longed to hear. Come up here. There's a promotion. There's success. There's advancement. And so as we close out this talk on advancement, talking about the heart issues, the yearnings deep within inside of us, live well, live faithfully, mind your own business, and in the end, I believe God's blessings will come. Amen? Let's pray. I'd like to invite you to spend a moment in just reflection on something you have heard or perhaps on one of these principles? Are you struggling with covetousness or a sense of entitlement? St. Ignatius of Loyola, who's the father of spiritual practice, 
he said, ingratitude is the greatest of all sins. Why is ingratitude so bad? Because God is heaping blessing upon your life, but you're looking at something else. Not only is it ungrateful, it's holding you back. The goodness that God pours out on your lap, you've been looking elsewhere. Why? Friends, I'm not criticizing you. I, I am here as well. Constantly, I have to bring myself back and say, God, you've been so good. God, I worship you. God, I'm so grateful. And so, pray a prayer of gratitude at this time. God, we are so grateful that you have been in so many profound ways watching over us, caring for us, giving us well-being, happiness. Many, many mornings we can wake up and smile knowing that you've been good, you've provided, we're alive, we're healthy livelihood we have responsibilities we're grateful that we're connected and not isolated and we're grateful just for all the wonderful faces that we see the deep lives the transformations forgive us for our ingratitude help us to correct it by henceforth living a life of gratefulness Transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.